to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 171. My name is Brando. Coming up a little bit later, we did an interview with uh, Jake Brennan, podcaster. He actually won Best Music Podcast on the iHeartRadio uh, Podcast Awards. There's an iHeartRadio Podcast Awards, which, of course, I have not been nominated. We're not big enough yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. But Jake Brennan has an awesome podcast called Disgraceland, and we talk about, well, what else? Guns and Roses, of course. Uh, but first... We're welcoming into the studio. This is pretty cool to have. He's the host of the SDR show, uh, and also uh, Tour Bus, or, or do we say now Tour Bus is Tour Bus is deceased. Defunct. I let it go. It's like killing a child, but it's <laughs> it's no longer with us. That's okay. Uh, Ralph Sutton, how welcome. are you? you? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know who you are, especially in uh, if you're from New York. If, if you're, you're a New York New rock Jersey. dude, you should know me. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. But. Um, <laughs> It's funny is that you just said you heard the uh, you had your podcast awards. Is that just for iHeartRadio podcast? Uh, anything or? could be nominated. But, but most likely, it, if it's it, called the iHeartRadio podcast awards, I would have. Yeah, well, they're, they're trying to brand it. That's okay. just what it is. It's not just in-house. But yeah, I think it was just the past, the, the second year of it, and it's in Vegas. So oh, that's cool. Good for it's you guys. It's aspirations. That's, nice. that's exciting. Yeah, we jumped on the the podcast bus. I, I had, you know, to continue to use the, the bus, I guess, terminology, <laughs> but- it's um it's strange because they do the iHeart Awards uh, now they'll do festivals everywhere but now podcasting as I found out over a hundred now seventy one episodes it's it's for real it is you know it's funny so I am now in podcasting about six years and um, when I started I had the same reaction I would imagine you had which is podcasting is for people that can't do radio I'm doing radio why the hell do I need to do a podcast yeah and mm-hmm. I just kind of crapped on the idea but. Uh, over the course of that year, six years ago, seven years ago, my the, my co-host now is a comedian, Big J Okerson. Okay. I uh, was looking into all these things and reading about them, and I texted him like six months, eight months after he had asked me to do it with him, and say, no, I think actually it's not a bad idea. And we started our podcast six years ago, Cold Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, the SDR show, and um, that led to me starting a network, and now I have a network called Gas Digital. We get a few million, I think it's like three and a half million listeners a week across the network, and it's pretty wild what's grown in the course of that. That started only like two and a half, three years ago. It's amazing where it is now. There's a lot of things to unpack with what you said, because I'm familiar with Big J Okerson because I used to be a big fan of Opie and Anthony. Right. And listening to Opie and Anthony, that made me feel where radio could go. Yeah. You know, it was just such a different element to most morning shows, or I guess afternoon, whatever, um, whenever they were on. And that's kind of how I started to build this thing. But I, at the same time, I'm like, this seems, you know, do a Guns N' Roses project. Mm-hmm. That's kind of fun. Uh, but I thought it was silly. I'm like, podcasting is for people who can't make it in radio. Right. It's not the case anymore. I mean, it's cool because the barrier to entry is non-existent, which is a beautiful thing. But it's also a bad thing. It means there's an awful lot of shit. You know, there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be out there. But in a way, it should be. Anybody can do it, which is great. You know, but it's also bad. So, to differentiate yourself, technology has allowed everybody to do everything. 
when I was a nightclub DJ, used to have to actually train and learn. Yeah. But now anybody can put an app on their phone. Photographer, anybody can be a photographer. So it's a beautiful thing that that is available to anyone and everyone, but it's also a bad thing because it's hard to differentiate yourself from the crowd. And I would say to myself, even though I go by one name on the radio, I'm not Bono, I'm not Axel, I'm not Josta, because Jamie mm-hmm. Josta's on your network. Josta's on my network. So is uh, Rob from Hatebreed, the singer of Hatebreed. Right, so it's, I'm just thinking I'm not someone that famous who I'm automatically going to get listeners. Mm-hmm. But when we, me and my former co-host, still current friend, uh, Ian Scotto, decided- You were saying horrible things about him off the air. Are you still friends? <laughs> yeah, he has a, a new a podcast. I don't think I should. I have mentioned that yet. A battle Line podcast. So he's still staying with these special operations, mm-hmm. army kind of thing. But uh, he, he will talk 80s metal. and you That's know. what I did. I mean, Tour Bus, my radio show, was living and breathing 80s metal. That's all I did. So- I just a quick summation. I was a nightclub promoter for like hip, cool clubs when I was in my teens, and then fell in love with rock and roll and changed the direction of my company. At the time, we were a nightclub promotion company. We split off to four of us. Two of us went rock, two of us went dance, and the dance clubs that we were doing after I left, it kind of went out of business uh, a couple months later. And then me and this other kid, Alan, it started to build the rock world. We called it monkey business, and we were DJs at the Limelight, at Lemore, at a club called Christopher's in Brooklyn. At one point, we had like four or five nights a week that was all 80s rock. That's all we did, and it was from like 89 to 92, roughly, somewhere in that area. My memory sucks at this age of my life, this part of my life, but that's where I became friends with a lot of these old-school 80s glam and rock guys, and then when I started the radio show... A lot of them I was able to re- re-reach out to and set up friendships and you know rekindle and get guests on my show. When I was in middle of nowhere, New Jersey, I was able to still reach out and get some people. You know, That's been the unique thing that I've discovered. It's like, obviously I knew Guns N' Roses has, has millions of fans across the, the globe, but to start a podcast from nothing and to just tap into this fan base and to connect with people literally all over the world that mm-hmm. I've had on this podcast, not just with guests, but fans from Croatia, the Netherlands, people just wanted to talk about the band. Is that something that maybe you've noticed going forward, the the, the fan base of, of a podcast versus actually doing Terrestrial well, Radio? It's a very different audience. So the difference is, and I, not to name drop, but I was on Fox uh, News or something like a couple of months, a couple of years ago, talking about the difference between a podcast and a radio show was right after Howard Stern talked about how podcast is for losers. I don't know if you remember that article. Okay. So then they asked me, because at the time I was one of the few guys doing both. And uh, the difference is very evident, which is radio listeners are passive. It's on. It's in the car. It's at the mall. it's It's in the elevator. It's just on, right? Podcast, you've opened your phone. You launch the podcast app, you type in the name of the show, and then you push play. That person is engaged and listening to you. And I'd say that one podcast listener is worth like 10,000 radio listeners because I, my radio show was on at one point. We had like three or 400,000 listeners a weekend. And at my show now gets about fifty to 75,000 listeners per episode. And we get far more reaction from that than we ever did on the radio show. I yeah. mean, granted, it's easier now to reach out to people, right. so you don't have you didn't have Twitter or Instagram or whatever. But uh, it just amazes me what a what a difference and how diehard these people are. Which is why I, I'm just continuously so amazed and flattered that people do find this podcast and they know I'm not just talking to you know in, in, in the, an empty tin can and right. attached to a string. 
It's it's I see We're it on social be a great media. Podcast, by the way, I know they should they should try that. I don't know. I'm sure there's an app to recreate sure that sound. Is. Yeah, I'm sure there is. <laughs> So over your career, you said you, we were talking a little bit uh, before uh, off the air, you said you've interviewed or you've hung out I, with some I, of the GNR I have so guys. many uh, connections to the world of Guns N' Roses, starting with in 86, um, I was in high school, I graduated in 87, I'm 50 right now, and um, a guy asked us, it was 86 or 87, the album came out in 87, the first one, right? Yeah. So it was 86, I'm guessing, and- uh, some kid we knew, and the guy I mentioned before, Alan and I, asked us to go see some new band that's going to be huge. And I was like, ah, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not going to go do that. I don't care. And it was Guns N' Roses. I didn't go, hmm. but I almost got to see them before their album dropped, right? Which would have been great. Um, and then years later, when they were the, the biggest band in the world, like let's say 89, 90, 91, that time frame, I was dating a stripper, <laughs> and I got a call at 3 in the morning and it was Axl Rose to let me know that he was with my girlfriend. But you know, I can curse here. You care? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's with my girlfriend. He looks, dude. I just want to let you know I'm not fucking her, but I'm out with Kathy. I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, really? I thought it was fake, but then I found that she showed me the next day. She had pictures with him and and whatever. But he just called me to tell me he wasn't going to fuck my girlfriend. That's funny, which is really cool. Very nice yeah. of him. And that's very nice of him. Maybe he did. I don't know, but it's still <laughs> nice that he made the call. It'd be cool if he was having sex with her while he was telling me he wasn't going to. I don't know, but um. Then I met Duff back in the day, back then too, but over the years, through the radio show, I hung out with Slash on his tour bus when the first Slash's Snake Pit album came out. Oh, cool. And got drunk with him and uh, Kerry Kelly, who was his- He's a former guest? Yeah, yeah, sure. On my, on my uh, radio show, not on my podcast. Okay. Um, I've had, uh, and then I was um, really good friends with the fill-in guy for whatever many years, 10 years, Bumblefoot. I'm still very close to Bumblefoot, and- uh, he used to call me. This is crazy. I'm sure he's gonna get pissed if he hears this. But um, when he was in Guns, so all throughout that, you know, from the day that they relaunched as Guns and Roses till what a year or two after the last Chinese Democracy came out, uh, we were very close. And he called me once. And I might be screwing up the dates a little bit, but he was like in Spain. And we were close. And he's like, dude, you're not going to fucking believe this. We're in Spain. We're supposed to go on in an hour. We just found out Axel's still in fucking Italy. I'm like, oh my God, you know, like, it's crazy. And I, there was things like that would happen all the time. Uh, and I stayed close to this day. I'm still friends with him. And I remember when I hosted the Sturgis Rally for a bunch of years, and there's two competing um, venues there, the the Buffalo Chip and the Full Throttle Saloon. And I was at the Full Throttle. He was at the Buffalo Chip. And they were up, like you know, classic Axel fashion, like two hours late. And somebody threw something at, at Bumble, and he got really pissed about it. because He was always on time. But mm. what it comes out to is that Axel was always just kind of afraid to go on stage. That's really what it was, which is pretty crazy. To this day, he does still suffer from a little paranoia about going on stage. I can I can see that, and knowing that Slash is kind of like the same way too, yeah. why he covers his face with, yeah. his, uh, with his hair. You think they get used to it by now. It's been 30 years. You know, it's, there's part of me that I really admire that because it's the same, I feel the same way. You know, before I obviously got into radio or podcasting, there's a reason why I like GNR other than the music. And it was just always being afraid to, while I have great ideas and I want to present myself, the career that I'm in, even doing podcasts now, I always kind of have to like weekend at Bernie's myself and just kind of put, huh. prop myself up and, and get through it. So there's always part of me that's, that relate, that hopes Axel is like that. Someone as yeah. talented as he is and obviously famous and revered as he is, he still gets anxiety about it. Yeah. He's the only one I would say I haven't met, you know, Axel. All the other guys, even like the newer guys, like when, um, what's his name, was in the band for a while. Ah, the guy from 6AM. What's his name? Uh, uh, DJ Ashba. Ashba. Yeah. 
And uh, in fact, I was at, uh, I have a videos of it on my YouTube. I don't ever post on YouTube, but um, when it was Ashba and Bumble, they did a private acoustic show at um, John Varvados in the city where the old CBGBs was. Okay. And there was only like 50 of us there. And I did a whole acoustic set. It was it was amazing, you know. Just it was I was standing right next. The stage was only like a foot off the ground because it was a it's a store now. And they just did like a, it was for Fashion Week, so it was like this week, maybe ten years ago. And I got to just be one of the few people there watching mm. a, a gun show. I think I may have posted about that recently, so I know what you're, you're yeah, talking I have about. Really, that. I mean, ten whatever it was ten, twelve years ago, the camera quality was terrible, but I have video. You should share it. Yeah, I did. It is it is up there. In fact, it was picked up. Oh, okay. Something because I was the only one that thought. Let me record this. Nobody else was recording it, but the quality is terrible. But that was a great, Forever. a great moment to be a part of. You know, to be able to see that. Um, I also did a. Um, there was a podcast called Great Albums or something, and I picked the, you pick an album that's your favorite album. And I picked Appetite, and we talked about Appetite for an hour and little ins and like little tidbits of information that maybe not the average person knows about Appetite. And uh, you know, I mean, Guns is always. There's been three or four bands. I'm not a superlatives guy at all. I don't like picking a favorite anything. But sure. I would say Guns is one of those top five if I had to. It's Queensryche and Guns N' Roses and Whitesnake and Motley Crue and Black Sabbath and you know a couple of bands that are like the holy grails for me, mm. but still would never pick a favorite because I just don't like I don't even have a favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't even think I do either. Uh, but to go back to Bumblefoot, which is something that I've talked about on this podcast before and I would be curious to pick your brain. You know, it's one thing where like Ralph Sutton and uh, Ralph Sutton wannabes exist, where they have rock and roll talk shows, and it's been a blessing and a disguise. Uh, it's been a blessing and a curse, rather, to do a Guns N' Roses podcast because sometimes it could scare people off because mm-hmm. GNR is such a weird band. Right. So Bumblefoot was my first radio interview ever. This well, is when, super nice guy, by the way. Very nice guy. I mean, because he's a Brooklyn Jew. Yeah, that's we we relate. Super cool dude. Uh, I had met him. I was, this is I'll, I'll condense this part of the story, but I was dating a girl from Ottawa, and mm-hmm. we went to go see Guns N' Roses in Ottawa. And this was Bumble's first tour, and he came out to the you know talking to the security guard like side stage, and I was the only one who recognized him. And mm-hmm. we were, he's like hit me. I asked him for an interview for my mm-hmm. uh, Cape Cod radio station, and we stayed in touch via MySpace. That's fun. And so it was it was great. And I had met him again at another radio station I was at in Poughkeepsie. But to try to get him on the podcast, he has very politely declined over uh, and over again. And I also have, I can understand him not wanting to talk about guns, you know. But that's the thing where I like I do get that, and I don't want to get um, angry or, or not. Like uh, I understand that part of it, but I I put it out there. I'll just talk about Sons of Apollo with him, right? But it seems to be, and you kind of touched on it, there's still this raw nerve. It is, because also I can tell you that I'm sure, I can't say for sure, because I've never talked with him about it, but I'm sure he thought Chinese democracy, which by the way, I love that record. I don't care what any gun, if if it was called the Axl Rose Project and nobody uh, compared it to Guns N' Roses records, as a record, it is a great album. It's a great album. They made a mistake, I think, calling it Guns N' Roses. But anyway... um, I am sure he thought that that was going to change his life because that album that, you know, then Axel didn't want to tour on that record. And then they very soon after get back in with the other Guns N' Roses. And I would imagine that he, because he gave up a trajectory that he was already having to join Guns for this theoretical huge mm. payoff. And I think he probably, and again, speaking just hypothetically, sure, I understand. Um, that he gave up 
it's whatever it was, eight to ten years of his prime years for a payoff that never happened. And mm. I could imagine that being a sore subject. And just the, even though it's not appetite for destruction, the show, just the title, close enough, and being, a, he doesn't want to be always associated as the former guns guy, mm. I, I would think, you know. Um, no, I've had him on my show mm-hmm. a few times, and... Um, we don't ever talk guns, really. You know, it's also about. He also interviewed me, in, introduced me to DMC, which is one of my favorite uh, SDR shows I've ever done. Because we had him on, not to go off on a tangent, I apologize. No, that's what podcasts are for, right? We had uh, DMC on once years ago, and we just talked about his life, and he's fascinating. I mean, he's someone that, oh my God, he's just an imp- impressive and incredible guy to talk to who talked about wanting to kill himself after. Uh, Run DMC had that big comeback record with Down with the King because they were sold out in like Ukraine or something. And he's like, look, we were inducted in the Hall of Fame, we've had the number one record. Now we came back with the number one record. We're, we're hip hop royalty, rocks people like, I can't top this. So he was going to go back to his hotel room and kill himself. Right. And the only right. thing when he came out with the book, he was talking yeah, about that. It, yeah. was, it was fascinating. But then he came back on last year to p- promote something, I think. And I'm like, well, we can't talk about that again. So then it ended up that my co host Jay and I, had a rap battle, <laughs> and he had to decide which one was least terrible. Because <laughs> neither funny. one of us were going to be good. I've never rapped in my life, but uh, it was you know. So I owe that to Bumblefoot because he set up that that friendship. That now I'm somewhat friendly with DMC. I think that's the only thing. I'm not. It's just a frustrating knowing how nice of a guy he is, and while at the same time completely uh, completely understanding. And I think you put an. Uh, Again, it was all hypothetical, but it's a, it could be a realistic right. uh, thought process to have, and I get it. Yeah. I, I get it. I guess it's just unfortunate because in the world of guns, it's. I don't. Do you see this in any other fan base where there seems to be such a maybe the Kiss fan base? There's such a raw emotion with all the ex members. Oh yeah, I like them all. Oh yeah, people I, get I, angry. It's so weird. You know, it's like you're not allowed to have any change in thought or any change in you know if Guns N' Roses puts out an album that doesn't sound exactly like the fans want it they get angry like like an artist is not allowed to grow it's very weird it's a, especially it only happens with certain bands you know like I was we had Papa Roach on a few months ago and their albums have been very different they dropped the rap for a while yeah. you know and their fans have embraced it and so I'm not sure why certain fan bases are less willing to accept a a um a divergent path, but certainly I think 80s rock for sure, they're the most hardcore. They want it to sound like they want it to sound. It's crazy because Metallica, I mean, bless them, they will always put out a new record, but it just comes with, people are just waiting to jump on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. How, how terrible, I mean, there'll be experiments like Lulu, did it work? Yeah. I mean, I guess The that's- last one was good, right? I feel like the last one, but the last record, the last Metallica record was good. Yeah, no, uh, what was it? Um, I forget the name of it, but like Spit Out the Bone was yeah, on so, it, yeah, Moth yeah, in the Flame, record. and even uh, Death Magnetic, I like what they yeah. put out. Uh, what Was that the one that had their, no, was it St. Anger was the bad one. That yeah, was that one. was when it was- The production much. was really weird on that one. Yeah. But- But then again, I'll be like, uh, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but New Green Day. Before Gino- I've only heard the single. Uh, I liked it, but I haven't heard anything else. See, it just sounds so different. And Green Day was, from when I was younger, was my Guns N' Roses, for lack of a better analogy. And then they just changed, even with American Idiot, how successful that was. It just wasn't the right. Well, they can't, you know, and it's fine. You're like, it it bothers me. Allow people to change. Allow people. You can't be that 18 year old punk kid forever. You're gonna grow up. You're gonna have kids. You're gonna make money, and your perspective is gonna change. And that's allowed for everybody. You shouldn't be if you're defined. In life, by the same way you were defined at 18, there's something wrong with you. 
You know, so you should allow your artist to grow. It should be. You know, I mean, it just it's as long as they still do their old shit live. Why should you care? I don't get it. Do you think that has any effect on why GNR hasn't released music? I, I mean, think there's too much. There's no way anything that the the nucleus that is Guns, you know, everyone but obviously the drummer, but um, this nucleus, there's no way they're going to live up to a hype of an album. And it's better for them probably, especially now when nobody buys new music anyway. Why would they even be put under that scrutiny? Just let them tour with the doing the fucking first record or two. You know, it, it just it doesn't matter. They know, No one wants... Nobody cares if they put out a new record. They mm -hmm. want them to do the first four things, and that's it. Maybe a couple songs off that weird uh, covers record, and that's about <laughs> it. You know, but uh, I don't think that anybody would ever want that. Or why would they? I just don't see why would they do it. It doesn't make any sense, knowing the way fans are. Why would they do that? Because they had. It's been released, and it makes me wonder how much Bumblefoot actually w worked on. Because there's all these oh, Bumblefoot released uh, worked a lot on uh, Chinese Democracy. I know that, but there's so much unreleased yeah. of that you can call Chinese leftovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, he all... worked on a lot of that for sure. I still listen to "If the World Is a Great." I, right. "If the World" to me is was the best song on the record. I listen to that mm -hmm. song all the time. I think it's such a great song. It, that whole album is great to me. It speak. In fact, here's a great story. Um, I was doing radio at the time when the. Uh, the first song, Oh My God, was going to be released, yeah. right? And on Friday of the, the before it came out, Howard Stern was still on terrestrial radios, how long ago this was, and on K-Rock here in New York. And he said, uh, on Monday, we're going to play the new Guns N' Roses record uh, at the end of the show. We're just letting you know we have it. It's gonna, We're going to play it on Monday. And my show was live on Saturdays at the time in New Jersey on a station called DHA. We were syndicated on, a, at that time, maybe 60, 70 stations. We got up to about 80-something. And I was somewhat, I've always been somewhat tech savvy. So my thought process when I heard that, okay, it's out there. Somebody, it's not, Howard's not the only one with a copy. So I got home from work that night on Friday. My show was Saturday night. I spent seven hours online until I found some weird FTP site that had it. And I downloaded it, burned it, and brought it in. And then my, I told my PD at the time, um, Dude, I got the new guns, and they made a, a promo for it, and they were running the promo all day on Saturday. Here are the new Guns Roses on the tour bus, which was the name of my show. And uh, I played it that night uh, every hour for four hours. It wasn't even a great song, but I just- I liked it. It was good. Not great. It was different. Right. But then the greatest thing about it was, so then that Monday, Howard doesn't talk about it. They don't say anything. They just, they don't say anything. They don't, they don't play it. But then the first jock to come on afterwards goes, okay, we know we're not the first to play it, but here's the new Guns N' Roses. <laughs> so I got that. And then I got a cease and desist, which I have framed, because you're not, I wasn't supposed to play it, but that's all that happens. You get a cease and desist. So right. I I'd never played it again until it was release released. From, from, from Warner Brothers or whatever it was. That's that, funny. Yeah. So I got to say that I played that song before anybody. It's Is an American terrestrial radio. I can't say I played it before anybody, but I got on radio in, in, in America- I was the first guy to play it. I like that you have it framed, too. Yeah, I have you, two of them framed. One's from Metallica and one's from Guns N' Roses. What's the Metallica one? Uh, the From the Mission Impossible soundtrack. Oh, I Disappear? Yeah, I found that somewhere online and I, I burned it. Yeah, it was, that was a big thing for me because I was always tech savvy. I was actually, which is hilarious on a side note, I was wanted by the FBI for computer hacking when I was 15. Nice. And uh, my father had to get me a lawyer and I got off, whatever. But <laughs> I was always super tech savvy. And in the beginning of... MySpace and all this um, streaming and stuff, bands a lot of times didn't realize if you're streaming something, I can just hit record 
and then play it later. They thought streaming meant it would, you know, they're not going to be able to download it. Yeah, I can't download it, but I could, I could hit record and 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 burn it myself. You it know? was so new then. It was People... so new right then. No one knew, so I would be able to get. I had a list of songs on our website that was where the ones we played first before anybody else, because I figured out ways to get songs in, you know, not the most legal methods. But then the worst thing that would happen was we'd get a cease and desist and we'd stop playing it. We all did that. That was the only way I, I thought I was ever going to hear Chinese Democracy was going on LimeWire and Kazaa. Right. Yeah, those I mean, are great. <laughs> LimeWire was awesome. I know, yeah. but I mean, well, I guess then how do you feel with someone who's gone through a certain spectrum of rock and you seem to be, you don't care about new No, I love new, I look for new music all the time, personally. I love finding, in fact, where there's a band. Well, new music from new bands or new music both. from old? Both. Okay. I love both. I just want to be always, um, I always want to be, uh, you know, discovering new music, not just from, from anybody. I embrace some of my favorite songs from bands. Like, I love the all the last few Megadeth records I think were amazing. Yeah. You know, Wasp has put out some incredible records. Even Lizzie Borden had a, had a record a few years ago that I loved. And, you know, so I'm always not just embracing new stuff from the old bands, but also new rock. I like, in any genre, I still like to find music that, that speaks to me. You know, I think it's important. I think it keeps you, I'm a true audiophile. I'm a true, I love finding bands and songs that are like, well, that's fucking great. You know, I really want to hear that again. Is there something you feel like? How has rock changed during your your time period? As you like you you found out about Guns N' Roses even before they were famous, but then now, that's the interesting thing. I feel, and I didn't know like a GNR podcast would work because I'm like rock. I feel struggles in general. Not, rock and, is always is never coming back. Let's be honest. You know, it'll never. Why? Be. Why is that? Well, in I'm other sure, parts of the world, it's it's yeah. But I, look, I'm sure at one point, 60, 70 years ago, there were these guys talking and saying, you know what, man, big band music's never gonna die. You know, we're gonna <laughs> always be hot, hopping, playing Glenn Miller in the mood, right? And then it just stopped. You know, sure, there's still places where. People like that music, and it'll never die, but it's never going to be on the forefront. And that's just what rock had an amazing run from the 70s till really, I would say, the early 2000s was the last time it was sort of relevant. You know, that's a great run for, for a genre of music. Mm. Not many genres can say they were that relevant for that long, and it would still have a diehard fan base, but it's never going to be on the forefront like like whatever EDM or, or hip hop is right now you know hip hop had a pretty good run right now but i think EDM's what's becoming the uh the new mainstream genre i even i host a um a rock cruise every year called Ship Rocked, which has been going on for 11 okay. years. Uh, I didn't do it this year, just I, I couldn't do it work-wise, but I did the first 10 in a row. And that is a mixture of some heritage bands and some new bands, but it's always just great rock bands. And I discovered many bands that I fell in love with, like Blacktop Mojo or Wilson. You know, there's so many good new bands that are carrying that torch of fun rock and roll that are out there. You just need to look for them. That's the difference. You just you need to actually go look for that music. I think that's why me and a certain section of GNR fans, we want the new music because it's like you feel that this band is special and can carry the torch oh, yeah. and show the others how it's done because of what you even just said with Chinese Democracy, how good that was. And, I, and I'm I'm with you. It should have been just an Axel record. It would have yeah, been it would have been it would have been uh, accepted also, it may not have sold as well, even though it didn't sell that well, but it would have sold 
as many copies as it did because it didn't have the name Guns N' Roses. Amazed to know how your average fan, like there are people who still don't know that Sebastian Bach's not in Skid Row. I know. You know there's certain things that your average person will never know because they're not audiophiles, they're not true music fans. So they did that for the marketability of the money. But I think the long-term play, if he would have called it Axl Rose Project or whatever, you know, um, the Axl Rose Project would be Tarp. It's a good name. <laughs> it's a good name. They should have done it. Um, I think that they would have been taken more seriously. Yeah. No. There's, a, there's a band, by the way. Have you heard of this band? Their new song is called Popular Monster. It's called Falling in Reverse. Okay. Really cool song. It's like has three different styles. Towards the end, it gets really heavy. It's a great new band. I love. There's a lot of bands I love right now. Dirty Honey's a cool band. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to get them on uh, on the Dirty show Honey? as well. Yeah, yeah. I just had them on SDR. They played oh, live. Nice. Really cool guys. Super good. Super good band. I think they were just here, right? Grand they just Steve? came back around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Highly Suspects, another band I love. But okay, they're out of. Cape Cod, Boston. Well, they know the singer lives in Brooklyn. I've tried to get them okay. on forever. They wouldn't, for some reason, they wouldn't do it. I really was hard to get them. I really tried my darndest. But, you know, certain bands, I like looking for the band that is on the uptake, you know, where before they're superstars, I like finding bands that I really like. There's a band coming in the week after this one called 616. Okay. Which, if you're a fan of him, that love medley okay. vibe, they sound and feel just like that, and I love that band. I saw their first show in America and their last show in America, and I became somewhat friendly with Villa over the years, but um, they invited me to the last show, which was great. First show, I was the first person to ever interview him in the States, going back 15, 20 years ago, when that, when that first major release came out. But um, I love, I just love rock, I love music, you know, I like, love to feel that energy. No, no other genre, hip hop, yes, is probably the only one where it speaks to a person. No one's crying meeting some EDM guy. It's not going to happen. You know? it, it, if, if you're on drugs, maybe. But, yeah, yeah, for the different reasons. But I'm saying like, <laughs> or pop, per, you, know, you don't get that reaction, especially 20 years after the fact, that, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. Your songs mean so much to me. That doesn't happen in, in other genres that are more superficial. You know, like, like dance music is superficial. It's hooky. It's not meaningful. The best rock songs in the world are the ones you don't like the first time you heard them. It takes a little while. Sure. You know, because then it really starts boring into your soul. That's how I felt about Chinese. Yeah. Chinese, absolutely. And, and last night, I mean, I couldn't believe I was watching uh, Saturday Night Live, and I eventually just shut it off because it's just not... This week it's was a, terrible. I watched it every week this past week. was. It, it was past, bad. It was bad. It was bad. The I week mean, before was great. Yeah, I, I mean, I was thought like, okay, RuPaul's old school. Maybe they'll do some old school sketches. It was nothing to write home about. But I bring it up because they had Justin Bieber on, mm -hmm. and I'm I don't want to be that guy that just criticizes stuff and never watches it or takes time to listen. And it's his new song. It's, it's called Yummy. It's horrible. His, it his seemed his like he didn't want to be there. Didn't you feel like he didn't want to be on stage? He was going through the motions. It was and, horrible. But it's like this is the song that's you know obviously he's unbelievable. He is the quintessential celebrity right, right now, of course. And that song oh, is I think everywhere. He's on the way down though. If I had to be honest, he's, it's it's Billie Eilish right now. I, I I'm a fan of her. Yeah, her SNL performance was one of the best things I ever saw. Did mm. you see that? I did. Where the room was flipping. I mean, that was amazing. You know, so that to me shows that you can still reach people because that was so I was in so engaged while that was and happening. she writes songs she'll he his, her, her brother, brother writes the music she writes the lyrics I believe and there were real it's not just saying yummy every other no, word no, yeah I mean that was really also I read a story that he's really pushing um Bieber to get the yummy like he has like a yummy meme that he's been spending money to like make it go viral on TikTok and it, no it's not taking you know, like, so weird because he wants to 
it's just it's a bad like I've actually liked a lot of Bieber songs. I think that they were decent. This is not one of them. It was really bad. <laughs> you know, and also which I think rock fans make a mistake of like, oh, it's not rock and roll, I'm not gonna listen to it. Every rock star I've ever spoken to loves a lot of different genres of music. That is true. So you should, as a fan of rock, open yourself up to listening to like I have Barbara Streisand and Slayer on my phone. You know, <laughs> and you should. You should like be able to appreciate there's only two forms of music, good and bad. And you can find good music in every genre. I think it's sometimes that it's it's frustrating when I'm looking at an SNL, and of course Bieber makes sense, but I'm looking at like the Super Bowl, right? I don't know if you mm. watched the halftime show. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously Shakira and J Lo are both very talented, but it's for years. You know, we want Metallica, we want Guns N' Roses to be halftime. Never gonna, I mean, although it's funny because for it's an interesting thing for Super Bowl, it makes sense because those audiences skew older, and anyone that's still watching television is older. So if I was an executive uh, that runs NFL, it makes sense to put on Guns N' Roses. But they're trying to get, which TV now is starting to understand a little bit. If you look at what's happening in television, they're rebooting all the stuff that was popular when I was a kid, whether it's Will and Grace or yeah. Fuller House or whatever. Mad because, About You. I've yeah, seen the the new only Mad people that are watching it, television, actual television, are people over 40. If you're under 40, you're you're on your phone, you're, you're Netflix, you're not watching regular television. So it actually makes sense for the Super Bowl to put on a heritage artist because they'll get the fans that are already going to, that, that appeal to, to watch. My guess, if I was playing devil's advocate, the reason why they put on outside of the box, like different than you'd think, because Guns N' Roses and Metallica is so on the money for the audience, is to try and bring in a female audience or try and bring in a younger audience that may not be watching the show normally, they know they've already got you. Yeah. You know, so they're just fueling a pre-existing fire by bringing in Guns N' Roses or Metallica. That's what I would think. I'm speaking off the top of my head. That's what I think is a logical reason. Booking something a little off kilter, they're bringing in other people that may normally, maybe they're only there for the halftime show, but at least they're getting the audience. Yeah, all of that makes sense because uh, my mom would not watch it and she's like, and she I watched, like the halftime yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think it is. <laughs> they got my mom. <laughs> yeah, so that's what they're going after. It's what I had. If I had a guess, that's what I would think because it's so on the nose for Guns N' Roses and Metallica to play. I think it's just trying to, again, to get, you know, I guess maybe rock doesn't, want to be in the forefront it does it just won't happen it's never happening like i i've had this discussion so many times like uh i've had i've had the fortune to interview every rock star almost every rock like guns and roses and alice cooper and ozzy over the years i've pretty much interviewed everybody right and the amount of times that we've talked about oh buck cherry's going to be the band that brings back rock and roll and it wasn't buck cherry oh it's going to be jet Oh, it's going to be the hives. Oh, it's going to be. And it never is. It won't be. It's never going to happen. And the thing is, as a rock fan, embrace that it's never going to happen and just seek out new music. Go go support the bands that you like because it's never going to be mainstream again. So do what you can to support the bands that you like. Mm. Oh, that, that That is true. And I think that's why people still hold on to the, the older acts because that's what used to be it reminds them of when it was right. in the forefront. And like, I what, what was that band that everyone thought was good? The one that sounded exactly like Led Zeppelin. Um, oh, Greta Van, Greta Van Fleet. Everyone thought, oh, that's going to bring back rock and roll. You I know? can't name one song that they do. Uh, there was that one song, Higher, I think it was Higher Ground or oh. something like Higher's, High, High Train or something like that. Oh. High Train. They, I actually liked them, but then I found out they were 
created, which was disappointing. I thought they were. I thought a couple of them were related. There's two brothers and the, a very wealthy father. From what I understand, again, I don't ever like to speak in absolutes, but from what I was told, it was kind of a created sound. It wasn't like this is what they wanted. Mm. Is that someone in their camp knew that this would do? They'd get a lot of coverage if they did this. Mm. And boy, their SNL performance was one of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> that was horrible. It's it, it just sounded like just Zeppelin leftovers, yeah. and I have Zeppelin, so why am I? I actually sent the song when I first got the song to fans, friends of mine that were Zeppelin fans, changed the name in the metadata, and said, "Oh my God, they found a uh, unreleased Zeppelin song," and yeah. people believed it. I'm like, yeah. it's really not. It's just another band. That's crazy. But so many, there are so many good new rock bands. Like another one, Joyous Wolf, great band. Uh, there's so many of them that, I mean, if you go back a little earlier, like Hailstorm's a great rock band. There's, yeah. You know, there's In This Moment. There's so yeah. many. It's actually feels to me like when I was a kid in the 80s, before rock became enormous, so like 80, 45, before it was like, you know, the first, what was it, Quiet Riot was the first rock record to go to number yeah. one, right? Yeah. Which was 86, I think, or 85, maybe 85. And then um, Pantera and Skid Row were the first metal records or rock records to debut at number one, which is 90-something. Prior to that, in early days of high school, you kind of see the girl next to you writing like uh, Metallica in her notebook and like a logo, like, oh my God, she's, all, she's a rock fan too. Like, it was underground. It wasn't mainstream and you found your friends through like little nuance of oh she's wearing a guns and roses t-shirt she's wearing a cinderella t-shirt oh my i just saw cinderella let's go talk about it it was underground then it became the biggest thing in the world for decades and now it's kind of full circle where now you have to seek out the other people that like the same music you do but i feel that instead of what you're missing now you don't have the fair weather fans you have the hardcore fans now True. and that's what i like about it the people that know these bands love these bands and that feels more genuine and that's what's great about this audience i mean they have to, they they know more than i do yeah you know? I, when i did the um sorry to keep interrupting you but no. when i did the uh the, you should, it's, I hate to, I don't mind recommending other podcasts, but it's called something like Greater Albums or Great Albums. And it's a gun, we did Appetite for Destruction. And the, there's a couple of nuances that I did know and kind of forgot about or, or didn't know. But like in Rocket Queen, that that girl moaning was the drummer's girlfriend. Yeah, Stephen Adler's you know, girlfriend. Stephen Adler's girlfriend. And, and, and Axel has and sex Axel's with her recording record. about <laughs> having sex with her. And I think that that's what. Uh, made him a little crazy and then in sweet child of mine the where do we go now you know that shtick too that sure he was saying like where do we go now you know and it just became hilarious. things like that are, are fascinating when you hear those types of stories about such a legendary band i doubt you're ever going to hear uh so what was the motivation for yummy yummy like why did you say it seven <laughs> times you know i know and that's the so your, your thoughts, I guess, on Axel to know, you know, those are like tidbits. Those are great tidbits. But there are so many songs he may, like Bieber may explain Yummy. I want Axel to explain If the World. You know, right. I, I know he's talking, oh, that sounded like a like a James Bond theme. Yeah. But to really dive deep into the songs that he's done. Does he even now, will he acknowledge that Chinese democracy even exists? I don't oh, know. Of course. He still, they play. Uh, they play it. They do. The, the, Slash plays. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen them in the newest iteration. Yeah, no, That's Slash cool. and uh, and Duff. It's very it's That's interesting funny. to see them play the title track. To see them play better. Wow, it's uh, better is also a great song. It is. It's it's just it's interesting because I'm used to hearing Bumble on it. I mean, right. I'm used to hearing Bucket on it, but now right. it's, it's being Slashified. This this album that was really just Axel. That's you know? very interesting. I'm surprised. Well, I mean, I understand it. 
but I'm surprised that that happened. I would think that they wouldn't have done that. You know, like when you always hear Charlie like when when uh, David Lee Roth went back to Van Halen, he wasn't doing any Sammy songs. I know. know. So things like that, you've heard stories many times when a singer comes back. I don't know, like with Kill Switch. I don't know if Jesse's doing any of uh, Howard's songs. I don't know. I don't. I've not seen them. I. I feel like I should know that. I know there's something they'll tour together, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean Howard is one of my favorite vocalists. So Killswitch, Jesus, yeah. his Killswitch records. I understand Jesse's great too, but fucking, I love Howard's and I love Howard's new band too. I'm not a big. What was it uh, Bless the Torch or something? Uh, Pass the Torch, something like that. Bless the Fire. One of those. Yeah. I'll, I'll look it up after. Yeah. This is why I need a producer. Yeah. And this, speaking of like, I know they're not new, but they were one of the the first bands that I played in college radio. And mm-hmm. I'm not usually a huge fan of the that vocal styles, the screaming. But Killswitch is one of the few bands that I'm like, yeah, especially yeah. Howard's vocals. Howard's great. I mean, I saw them open for Slayer years ago. Uh, that was a great show. Um, so who else have you uh, interviewed? I mean, uh, I could go from no, uh, 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 in our, G, in our, oh, in in our guns, world in, in our, Guns and Roses. Yeah. So let's. I mean, I had Bumble, Ashba, Slash, uh, Duff, uh, never Izzy. I tried to get Izzy on when he put. You know, he still puts out. I don't know when the last time he was, but for a while he was putting out these like kind of punky rock. You know, off yeah, the mainstream records. Uh, but back when those last two records came out, I tried really hard to get him on. I had Steven Adler on a couple times. Um, who else is in the, who am I leaving out? I mean, I think I've had <laughs> almost everyone. You know, never Buckethead. Um, I had Robert Fink on when, when they did oh, the, yeah? when they did the Dead Daisies and Gilby. I mean, Gilby Clark I've had on a million times. You know, and uh, Matt else. Sorum, of course, Matt Sorum. <sighs> mm. You know, all these guys. I've known them all for years. I mean, uh, I would say that you know when when Matt went back to the cult for a little bit, um, I got to interview all of them in the cult. But Gilby for forever. I mean, Gilby was like a. I don't. I don't ever like to use the word friend because they're not uh, friends. Is implies that we're hanging out with each other. But mm. if I walked into a restaurant, like the best example would be like when I saw Ashba, the last time they toured with Guns, when he was is he still in? He's not no, in anymore. No. But when he was still in Guns, um, I went to a restaurant and Guns and Roses was there and Fink and uh, Ashba was sitting at a table. Everyone but Axel was there for dinner. And I walked in. I just happened to be walking into the restaurant and they were like, "Oh shit, Ralph, what's up?" Like so. That I don't know. You call that a friend, but like better than an acquaintance. Sure. Like I'll know them. Like with Halford, I was at a hotel once, and he saw me, and he came over. So and to say hi, you know. So that to me means at least they know who I am, but I would never call them a friend. I right? understand. But uh, so almost everybody, I'd say, I don't think feel like I'm leaving out somebody, but everybody but but Axel, I would say, I've, I've interviewed at some point. That's for, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Because uh, I've had Dizzy. I was so great. Yeah, to I had Dizzy on because Dizzy was in. Um, Dead, dead, dead Daisies for a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. Richard Fortas I've, I've had, had on. And he was also in Dead Daisies for a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Dead Daisies, it's like the menudo of... Well, it's that <laughs> one super wealthy guy. You know, the the guy that put it together, the lawyer dude, he's in the band still. That's right. He funded everything. He just put together the guys that he wanted to play and just gave them all shit tons of money. Yeah. And that's how that it's those cool. records came out. John Karabi. Yeah, Karabi's a great guy. Super cool dude. Uh, I've interviewed him since forever, and I hated that he was so... Glossed over on that fucking Motley Crue shitty movie. The, I'm actually I was surprised he was even mentioned. Yeah, well, every like for a musical documentary, it played very little music. It was very weird, you know. <laughs> but um, they should have made it a six part series instead of trying to shove it all. Into that I agree with. That was uh, there should be a Guns N' Roses one. I don't know why they haven't done that. I know, well probably the rights, and that's something yeah. we've talked about at length. I've even posted sometimes you know certain actors that look like G and R members. That'd that, be cool. Yeah, 
Well, if you go back, I mean, we've had uh, plenty of guests who went to Fairfax High School, which is where Slash went, where mm-hmm. Dave Kushner from Velvet Revolver went, where Flea went. And just that high school, it's like it just seems like nine oh two and zero for rock stars. That's funny. That'd be a great to do a documentary just on the high school. Yeah, yeah. I tried to do get the rights. It never happened. But remember the um, heavy metal parking lot movie. Okay, we were going to do a uh, not not sorry the other one. We were doing it with that that one to pass, but. Um, Decline of West Civilization Part uh, Two, right? Uh, we had uh, Penelope Spheris, the oh, director, cool. on. We were trying to. We had. The, we almost got the rights. So we were going to do a revisit, twenty-five years later or thirty years later, whatever it was. We were going to interview everybody that was still around, from where they were then to where they are now. Mm. I thought it would have been a fascinating movie, but it just never came out. Okay, I would love to see that. I know she she hasn't said what it is yet, but she is working on a fourth. Oh, really? That's funny. Which would be, you know, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Is there? Um, one again. This you don't like picking favorites, so maybe <laughs> I should, I'm already uh, stopping myself before I ask. But is there like a, one interview uh, that you still can't believe that you got? For sure, not not guns related or guns related. Uh, no, just in general. Uh, for sure, it's Ozzy Osbourne. You know, to sit down, not over the phone. I did it over the phone once when the Osbournes first came out, a long time ago. But then his book came out. It's a great, great book. If you never read his autobiography, excuse me. And I got to go to a room and sit down with him and talk. And it was, you know, it was a very uh, regimented thing. There were six of us. Sorry, there was 10 of us. And we each had six minutes. Mm. And we all were in a room together. They just hit record. Might have been eight of us. And each one would have six minutes, six minutes, six minutes. We all had to stay in the room from start to finish. But before it happened, I was outside eating some fruit. So there was some free fruit on the table. I was eating fruit. And then Ozzy came out. He grabbed an apple and just started le- he leaned up against the wall next to me. I'm like, oh, I'm just eating apples with Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> you know? And that moment, I never got starstruck. Like I've interviewed, I never got like goofy around a, a, an artist. But that one time, I was like, well, this is fucking, cr- this is weird. Like I'm standing <laughs> next to Ozzy Osbourne. That was the one that freaked me out. Like that was the one that was like the holy grail for me. I, I, I can't think of a better one. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I've interviewed, like, I had all of Black Sabbath when it was with Dio and they did the Heaven and Hell tour. Well, that's cool. That was great, and they, it was fun, you know, but not that visceral, holy shit, I'm standing next to Ozzy. I don't know if there's anybody else that would give me that. I never got to interview uh, Steven Tyler, interview Joe Perry, but never got to interview Steven Tyler. That might give me the same reaction. Mm. Although, a crazy side story, uh, we're going back when his autobiography came out. So what is that, 15 years ago? His crappy autobiography that was no one read? <laughs> but what happened was his manager was a friend of mine. And I don't know how this exactly happened, but I got a call from him and said, uh, Stephen likes your voice. Can you record his autobiography into a microphone mm. for him to listen to before the book comes out? I said, yeah, well, sure, why not? I get to read his, bi- his autobiography before it comes out. I'll do it. But, and I'm sorry if he, I doubt he listens, but if he does listen, <laughs> he doesn't know this, but I ne- never really think I've talked about this, but I read like 10 pages and I fucking hated it. I just thought it was, it seemed like stream of consciousness craziness that it just did not read well. It might've been a great story if he was standing there talking to you, Sure, but it was very, and it didn't sell well this book. So I don't think it was that, I'm not alone when I say it wasn't a great autobiography. But I made up a story and said, I can't do it. Something happened, and I gave them their money back huh. and didn't do it. I had the whole book, 
but I just gave it back to them and said, I'm sorry, I, I can't do it. I can't get through it. Yeah, I couldn't get through it. I uh, didn't tell them that. I just said I, something personal came up and I can't do it. Mm. But boy, I fucking hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. That's why a lot of these rock stars, they need something like a ghostwriter. They need a real, I don't know. In fact, I remember saying that to him. I said, did anyone read this before you sent it to me? And they go, no, no, it's just straight from him. I'm like, oh, okay. I can tell. Yeah, yeah, it was really weird. I used to carry a couple of pages around with me because people thought I was nuts when I told them I didn't do it. I'm like, here, read this, and then tell me if you'd still do it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so what can, we, um, what can we expect going forward in the SDR show? Well, I'll tell you, it's been a crazy couple of years, you know, um, SDR and Gas Digital. You know, Gas has taken on a, a huge um, life of its own. We have studios here in New York. We, we're probably going to have studios in L.A. by the end of the year. Nice. Um, 20 shows now across the board and a little bit of everything. A couple of rock shows, comedy shows, political shows, sports shows. All, I call them like slightly off off center. So like our political shows are not Republican or Democrat. It's libertarian. Our sports show is not basketball or football. It's uh, UFC and wrestling. You know, so it's all like slightly off the mark. Our music shows are rock based. You know, that, Well, that's the way it should be. Right. So it's, it's nichier of a mainstream product, right? And I think I you know more, what that's about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like this, right? Um, but SDR, we've had a great run so far. It's five years. We're we're gonna have our three hundredth show in March, and it's achieved way more than I ever thought it would. And we try to do things. So I try to do it as a mixture of. I, look, I hate to use the name Howard Sterney because if I told you I was gonna start a cooking show. You don't say, oh, like Julia Child. No, you just say, okay, cool. If I tell you I'm going to be a director, you go, oh, like Quentin Tarantino? Like, no, no one says that. But when you say I'm going to do a, a, a radio show or podcast that's a little edgy and you do interview girls and do crazy stunts, it shows the pervasiveness of Howard Stern that they say, oh, like Howard Stern, which I mean, it's amazing, but I hate that that's always the barometer of comparison, right? I mean, who else is there? Right. Well, so, Opie and Anthony, I, I guess, you know. Um, I know. But uh, Well, I mean to the mainstream. Right, to the mainstream. So we've done a lot of crazy things on our show over the years that, first of all, on the side note, yes, we've interviewed a ton of great rock stars, bands play live in studio all the time. I've had Gene Simmons in studio, Ace Frehley in studio, Papa Roach and Megadeth and Anthrax. I mean, you name it, they've been in the studio. It's been great, right? And then we also had Mark Cuban and uh, Michael Che and Pete Davidson and the cast of Practical Jokers. And we get a lot of great guests over the years, right? So thank for that. Very thankful for that, and it's been amazing. But then we do what I call stunt shows. And what I realized was the shows where we do something ridiculous get shared way more than me interviewing Mark Cuban, for whatever reason. People like ridiculous, right? So it started with things like, and I apologize to any of the uh, sensitive listeners, but we've done things like the most listened to episode ever was called the Olympics. okay? And we hired a $100 escort and a $1,000 escort, and we got blindfolded one-minute blowjobs <laughs> to see if it's worth the extra $900. Right? Uh, so things like that. We just did now another thing where we hired a girl, and we got a black guy, a Spanish guy, a white guy, and an Asian guy, and she got blindfolded and got no money up front, but $100 for each guy, she could correctly identify the race just by penis. Oh, my God. Right? And then if she got all four right, she got double the money. She could make $800 or nothing. Right? So stupid things like that. And then that's the sex part, right? Rock and roll, we get a lot of cool bands in. And then the drug part, I've at, before the show, I've never done drugs, ever. 
and we started getting shit on by fans like you're called sex drugs and rock and roll and you don't do drugs right i mean jay smokes pot every week but that's you know these days it's like sure. drinking coffee so once a year i try a drug on the air my first time ever doing a drug jeez and i've started with edibles we did um mushrooms we did molly that ended up being crystal meth Oh my Which God. was I was up for three days. It was crazy. We did then did real Molly. We got a drug testing kit, and just like two three months ago, I did cocaine for the first and only time in my life. Mm. And I've hated all of them, right? But those kind of crazy stunts brings the show up to a new normal every month, and it's crazy. Where I thought, holy shit, Mark Cuban, the dude has fourteen million Instagram followers and like eighteen million Twitter followers. This show's gonna blow up, and it didn't. But the show where we did uh, Blow a Yoki, where Jay and I were getting oral sex from our significant others, and whoever lasted longer while we sang Endless Love together, <laughs> I did the female parts, you know, uh, would win, right? So stupid shit like that are the ones that have the three, 400,000 listeners per episode, you know? And it just shows you what, I guess it shows you my fan base more than anything else, <laughs> but it also shows you the ones that get shared. Mm. Right, because those are the ones that someone says, dude, you got to listen to this. This is crazy. Well, that that's certainly more rare than a Mark Cuban interview, even though that's, that's pretty special. He doesn't do podcasts. He really almost never does podcasts, Mark. So I, that was rare. I mean, he's on TV a lot and on uh, radio sure. a lot, but he never does. But yeah, he's the only, I looked it up. He only done, he's only done two other podcasts. But uh, And then we just had uh, Damon John on, and now next month, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Barbara Corcoran's coming in. Okay. Yeah, so we get. I try to mix it up where I don't like to ever put like two rock stars in a week. I mean, uh, week to week. I like to mix up like a rock guest one week, a comedy guest the next week. Try to mix up as much as I can. And we also always do it live. The com slash live every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. You can watch the show for free live. And then the podcast comes out about five days later. Very cool. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming on, kind of sharing your your expertise and talking about. I'm here to. By the way, I just so you know, I was just on the front page of Entrepreneur.com on how to start a podcast. Okay. Um, I am a plethora of podcast knowledge. So if you ever have questions about, you know, anything from audiograms or or, or promoting or or whatever RSS issues, I try to take in as much knowledge as possible on a daily basis with podcasting. And, you have my number now, so by all means, ask me. Right on, though. I, I appreciate it. I mean, not just talking rock and roll, but yeah, just talk about radio. I love talking shop. Yeah, radio to me, I, I always can tell when I'm talking to another radio guy. You know, I did radio was my life, and like when I became friendly with Anthony of ONA, right? Sure. I met Opie once, but I've come friendly with Anthony. And the first time we talked it was when he just started Compound Media, and I did. we went to his house, and it was still in his house. And I immediately could just tell when you, when you talk with another radio guy, you get things that people that have not gone through that don't understand. It's being battle tested for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Ralph Sutton, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure thank we'll do you. this again. Yeah, follow me everywhere at I am Ralph Sutton. That's cross the board, I believe, heavily in social symmetry. So whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or dot com, it's all I am Ralph Sutton. Thanks, Ralph. Thank you. So that was certainly a fun and interesting conversation. I get a lot of messages you know, of course, uh, you know, about certain interviews, specific interviews, guest suggestions. But I get a lot of just let's hear some just straight Guns N' Roses talk. Might as well write on a Guns N' Roses themed podcast. It's something that Scott and I did a lot at the beginning and talk about. We did a November Rain versus Strange episode talking about former members, you know, everything that we all have a conversation about. 
online. We do have a lot of those conversations on on Facebook and Twitter, but not so often on the podcast anymore. I guess for one, it's because I don't want to have that conversation myself. It's one thing if if Scott was here or if I have a co-host or if I get now a guest in. So I think that's pretty cool. I mean, if you watch the news or um, or sports, they always have analysts or uh, experts, quote-unquote experts, to come in and discuss things. So that's something that I do want to do uh, from time to time. So Ralph was certainly uh, one of the people I wanted to talk to. And you can talk to Ralph if you have a problem with anything that he he said. I certainly I can't agree with nobody cares about new Guns N' Roses music. I think that pertains to maybe some bands. I believe Brett Michaels has said that, and that nobody cares about new Poison music. And I, I hate to say it, it's true. No one is asking for new Poison music. Uh, even Motley Crue. Do you really want new Motley Crue music? I was excited about The Dirt. And when they came out with a couple songs to coincide, one was with Machine Gun Kelly, and they did a really terrible version uh, of Like a Virgin. Why did they cover Like a Virgin for Madonna? I don't know. So, I mean, and, and Motley has had some recent releases, I guess, in, in the past several, you know, Saints of Los Angeles. So it's not like the Chinese democracy kind of wait when Motley was really active to hear new music. But no one's asking for new music from them. It's the truth. I think Guns N' Roses is different. It's completely different. It's the, the mystique. It's the fact that we know how much Axl Rose has in his safe, his vault. I mean, we we know this because of the amount of leaks and remixes. So it, it's not just the tracks that we got on Chinese. We want to hear more. We do want to hear more. And, and something that I do agree with, Ralph, is that if it was just called the Axl Rose Project or, or War, whatever it, it could have been, it would be Chinese democracy would be looked at differently, I think. And you want to know what else that he did, you know, with that band at that time, since Chinese democracy is so well-received once you get past all the the negative clouds around it. Uh, so if you want to email uh, Ralph Sutton, I'm sure we'll have him back on. I am Ralph Sutton. And let him know that you want New Guns and Roses music. Anyway, also before that we get to our next guest, uh, Jake Brennan, I wanted to play something for you. So as I've mentioned on the podcast before, uh, I'm just a Guns N' Roses fan who happens to work in radio, and I'm lucky that I get to do this podcast kind of at work, and it's been fun. Uh, this this I do a, like a bunch of different shows. I'm working on a bunch of different shows there for Premier Radio Networks and iHeartRadio. A lot of th- a lot of it's like a hub for a bunch of different projects here in in Tribeca. And one thing that I've just been so proud and and just uh, excited to have worked on recently, and that's being uh, the fill-in producer. So I've just been filling in, helping out uh, Q104.3 here in New York City, and I've talked about it on the podcast before. And we were giving away Guns N' Roses tickets, as a radio station does, because uh, Guns N' Roses is coming to New Jersey, MetLife Stadium. And, oh, I should say this, I'm going. I'm going to see Guns N' Roses. I bought the tickets before they announced Smashing Pumpkins. So I am really excited. I've never seen the pumpkins. So to me, it's well worth it. Uh, I What did I spend? It might be like a total of, for me and my girlfriend, I think it was 150 
before, you know, all the fees that Ticketmaster gives you. So, you know, a little over 300 bucks to get my handicap seats, ADA seating. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Guns N' Roses back-to-back years also. That, again, they've never been touring like this before. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. But anyway, even if I didn't already have tickets, people sometimes ask, oh, you're on radio, you, you just get free tickets. No, <laughs> it's, that's not usually the case. Uh, most of us have to pay for them, just like all of you. And we give them away. We give them away to listeners. So it was really cool. They were giving away all weekend, but we had one last pair um, on the Monday morning I was working, and we were we did a contest. And I'll give all the credit in the world to the host, Jim Kerr, who is a fucking legend. He is a legend. Radio Hall of Fame. Uh, he he His story about, uh, it was his interview with Keith Richards saying that he stopped smoking. And when the Rolling Stones just announced the, uh, these new tour dates, the Mick and Keith, uh, that interview was with Jim Kerr. Like that's how, that's how high up this this guy is, and how legendary uh, he is. So it's been an honor to work with him. Anyway, he came up with the idea to give away some GNR tickets, not just hey, caller twenty five. He said to me, "What's that song that Axel holds like th- that note really long at the end of the song?" And I know you're screaming it right now. Of course, we Guns N' Roses fans know it's "Don't Cry." <laughs> idea so his idea jim's idea was to have listeners call up and see how long they can hold that note from axel and whoever got the closest would win the tickets and hilarity ensued so i want to play this for you because well it was just too fun uh, here's the deal. It's to sing like Axel, but the twist is it's to do the sustained note at the end of Don't Cry. And uh, the uh, contestant who comes closest to uh, reaching the duration uh, that uh, Axel The extraordinary duration. Will be our winner this morning. So uh, we'll begin with Rita. Hi, Rita. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Where in New Jersey are you? I'm in Mama. Okay. So, are you ready to uh, sing that note for us? I guess so. <laughs> okay, because I'm going to start the timer. Are you ready? Set and go. Hi, hi. Okay, now you stay on the line. Stay on the line. I wow. I have these time to a tenth of a second here. Stay on the line, Rita. Wow. Okay. Hold on, Rita. Our next contestant uh, is Ralph. Hi, Ralph. How are you? Wow. Fine. How are you today? Okay, and where are you calling from? Nayapak. Okay, Ralph. Are you ready to go? I am ready. Go. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, hold on. Hold on just a second there, Ralph. And uh, we have uh, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Hey, what's up? Hey, uh, that's that's what we're going to ask you. Are you ready to do this? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take a deep breath and go. Don't you cry. No, no. Wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop, wait, stop, wait, stop. Wait, Kevin. Wait, Kevin, stop. Kev. Stop. We want to give yeah. you, you don't, you're don't, not singing the don't words. Don't start with the words. Just the last note, yeah. okay? Oh, just the last note. Yeah. I'm just trying to get into the mood. Okay, okay. No, no, all right. No. It's just I need you to start just with that last note so I can time you properly. Okay, here we go. Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin, so much for uh, for calling and for doing that. I mean, you're obviously an amazing Guns N' Roses fan, uh, and your time was uh, 23 seconds. Uh, Ralph, thank you so much. Your time was uh, was 21 seconds. It was an amazing uh, performance. However, Rita... Came in at 25.2 seconds. The actual recording by uh, Axel is 26.48 seconds. Oh, so close. So, Rita, Rita. you are our winner of a pair of tickets to see Guns N' Roses at MetLife Stadium on July 18th. And are you a Q Workforce member? Uh, No, I'm not. Well, that's too bad, because if yeah. you were, you'd qualify for front row tickets. Uh, tickets, by the way, are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. But you've got a pair of tickets to see Guns N' Roses. And that was amazing. 25.2 seconds. Wow. How did you do that? I don't know. I wanted to win. <laughs> okay. You wanted it badly. Well, you, well, you stay on the line, and uh, we will set you up with your tickets. That was pretty amazing. Our um, substitute interim producer of the day is Brandon, who's a huge Guns N' Roses fan. You have to be, you have to have been impressed by our three contestants. I was impressed, surprised that they held that note when no one passed out on the phone. <laughs> have you ever tried to do it? Of course. I won't and? do it now. <laughs> Unless you want to give me free tickets. <laughs> no, you're not eligible to win. How good was that? I was so, I was so excited. Not just to do Guns N' Roses contest, but to just get the whole morning show and all the listeners, all of New York, the tri-state area, excited playing this game. It was uh, it was really cool. Again, just being a Guns N' Roses fan who happens to work in radio, th- one of those moments for me where I feel like the, the world's cross. So it's cool, and it's also very nice. Jim lets me talk about the podcast on the air. Just a very awesome experience. Uh, and again, one of the other things that I do here, well, that's uh, get involved in these radio tours that I've mentioned before. So uh, right now I'm going to get uh, Jake Brennan on the line. And Jake is a podcaster. He's a musician. He's a jack of all trades. And he won the the music award, or I should say the, the, the iHeart Podcast Award, as I mentioned to, to Ralph, for best music podcast. How cool is that? Disgraceland. So we're going to talk about Disgraceland and his new podcast, 27 Club. Hey, Jake, how are you doing today? Hey, 
Hey, dude, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Appreciate you asking. Let's just get right into it. I want to know what's in your, your book, Disgraceland, because it was a book before a podcast that you you wrote about Axl Rose. So can you tell us about that? Well, not only did I write him in the book, but he's he and the rest of the band are the subject of the first two episodes of the upcoming season of Disgraceland, which will be released in March. And it expands on some of the stuff in the book, but it's chock full of new information and, and additional stories. And, you know, Axl Rose, in a lot of ways, is a perfect subject for Disgraceland and really kind of represents the sort of duality and conflict that rock stars have and and that I like exploring, you know, how they kind of walk the line between being these really inspiring artists, but just also antisocial and demonstrative of behavior that is well beyond the bounds of acceptable. (laughs) And that's sort of the thing that makes them so interesting and informs their art. So Axel specifically, um, I think, you know, what I found with Axel, what I tried to, what I tried to get into as far as events were concerned, were the St. Louis riot, um, and his his behavior on stage and how that kind of kicked the riot off, but also how that was informed by the way the band were treated by the press after Donington and how it was all kind of a reaction to that. And, you know, in the book, I talk about, you know, sort of where Axel's coming from, how he was raised, what the traumatic event was. I won't give it away here and talk about it on air, but what the traumatic event was in his childhood that sort of led to his behavior. And it's by no means a rationalization on my part or an excuse. But I think when we look at the way these artists who are under intensely pressure-filled situations, when we look at the way they behave, we have to look at how they were raised and what went on in their formative years and what's informing their psyche and their behavior. And also, like I said before, their art. How do you go about compiling all this research? Cause obviously a lot has to go into it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I try to look at the, just in the obvious places. I mean, there's, there's a lot of books with Guns N' Roses. There's a ton that's been written about Guns N' Roses. There's, you know, in general, when I'm looking for any subject, um, you know, when I talk about the Jimi Hendrix subject for the 27 Club, there's, you know, countless documentaries. The best piece of research I can find, though, is an autobiography. Uh, I'm writing an episode on Little Richard right now for Disgraceland, and the stuff that he himself cops to and admits to doing in his autobiography is just, it's it's literally unbelievable. Like, people will not believe the stuff that is in this episode, because it's just it sounds too crazy coming from anybody but the source, but it is, in fact, true if we're to believe Little Richard. That's a lot to look forward to, not just the, the GNR stuff, but Little Richard, the architect of rock and roll, big fan of his music. Uh, let's talk about your new podcast, though, however, the, the 27 Club. Tell us about that. Do you dive deep into all the members of this infamous club, the Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Amy Winehouse? Do you talk about everyone? Yeah, I'm doing this one a little bit differently from Disgraceland, where Disgraceland is an anthology series. Every episode is dedicated to one subject. Uh, 27 Club, I'm spending 12 episodes and doing a serialized podcast on each subject. So the first season, the first 12 episodes are on Jimi Hendrix. The second season will be on Jim Morrison. The third, I haven't decided yet, but I'm leaning towards Kurt Cobain. 
or Amy Winehouse. And um, that's, yeah, so that's sort of the difference there. There's just, with these artists, they're so iconic. There's so much in their backstory. There's so much wildness in their life and so much mystery or scandal or conspiracy around their deaths that it's it's easier to get into um, a, a 12, 12 episode narrative serialized uh, uh, storytelling. When you're doing your research, do you really immerse yourself not just in the the content and reading up on these artists and their history, but the music as well? Are you are you sitting there writing about Jimi Hendrix while listening to Jimi and just creating your own little world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with a lot of these artists, I'm I'm pretty well versed. Like with Jimi Hendrix, I mean, I, I've heard pretty much everything you could hear just growing up and being a fan, and there's there's so much stuff out there and it gets released constantly and it's in your face but when I'm writing and researching I tend to listen to the music in a different way and not on purpose it just forces me to I'm just hearing it differently and and I love that it's it's like wow okay Hendrix again I thought I was sick of Hendrix but you know I'm not um and what I really love is, you know, it, it forces me to listen to artists that I, I normally wouldn't listen to, you know, and it makes me dive deep, deep, deep into their catalog. And and when you're doing that research and you're kind of in their heads in a way, you start to correlate that to the music and how it was created, and it's pretty interesting. Do you think it's just a unfortunate coincidence that we lost so many great people at the age of 27 exactly? Is there something about that age? Well, I, I think it's, you know, obviously I think it's coincidence. And I, I think there's something about, you know, when artists hit at that younger point in their career and sort of they're, they're, they're slung out of this slingshot of fame. And, you know, there's only a certain amount of time they can, they can hang on to that roller coaster before they kind of crash into the wall. And burn you know sorry to just throw like five competing metaphors at you in one sentence but <laughs> yeah but I, I i think um yeah i think it's coincidence i think with hendrix and jim morrison they were all roughly starting out at the same time relative to their ages and, and it kind of just went the way it went what are you hoping that we learn from your new podcast series 27 club um i think for me you know, there's nothing too, too specific. There's not like one big takeaway that I'm looking for people to to come away from the show with, but more just how rich and intense the lives of these artists were and a little bit more of a reality check on what fame, at least as it pertains to the music industry, means. It's not what most people think it is. You know, I mean, there's like... In the episode on 27 Club Today with Jimi Hendrix, it's, you know, it's a month after he just played Woodstock, arguably the biggest, most recognizable musician on the planet, and he's playing a street festival in Harlem, and he's being booed off stage and pelted with eggs. And there's just so much dynamic experience to fame it's not all just riding high all the time it's so much more than that that's very very true jake brennan thank you so much for for coming on disgraceland and 27 club podcasts on iHeartRadio. thanks man i appreciate it and you know i'd love to come back on and talk more explicitly about gnr if you're ever interested
Absolutely. My people will call your people. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. And that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. Wow, this was like an actual radio show. Two guests. We did a contest, sort of, with callers, kind (laughs) of. It was a fun time. I I hope you enjoyed this, this episode and how we continue to move along this podcast night train. This uh, Guns N' Roses-themed bar mitzvah party of a broadcast as we look at life through Guns N' Roses-colored glasses, connect everything that fits under our six degrees of, of GNR bacon, takes us a lot of different places. And it's uh, it's been fun. Absolutely. We're going to continue to do it. Some guests coming up, of course, uh, even though they're confirmed, nothing is ever confirmed, but, lo- but Axel's love of Taco Bell as he famously said in a tweet, of course. Uh, so I believe in studio, in studio, we're going to get Brian Posehn. Yes, the comedian. He is a, a heavy metal comedian. He, he's been in so many different TV shows and movies. He has a new song, an album coming out, uh, Grandpa Metal. I believe he did with Scott Ian of Anthrax. So I'm excited. I can't wait to hear what Brian has to say about Guns N' Roses and Again, this is just where my world's mixed. I have an opportunity to interview Brian, and I've just been a fan of his since I saw him on TV with uh, Mr. Show and Bob and David. Mr. Show with Bob and David, excuse me, on uh, on HBO all so many years ago with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm already fanboying it. He's not even here. <laughs> uh, also coming in studio, Michael Alago. Now, if you haven't seen his documentary on Netflix... Who the fuck is that guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Alago. Check it out. It's on Netflix. It's really good. This dude, it's it's just simple to say that he signed Metallica. Yeah, he, he signed them. He was the guy who got them on the label. But he's just so much more. His story is so deep. So I can't wait to get him in studio to talk about his upcoming book. So that's going to be fun. Also working on a day to get Tom Kiefer. On the line, former Cinderella singer, but he has a Kiefer band now. And he's just, as I put it out there on social media, so many of you just adore him. How underrated he is and just uh, how great he is live. So at some point, we'll get Tom Kiefer on the line. And uh, again, the best way to find out about all these guests and the send-in questions and sometimes co-host, you know, it comes up is to follow on social media, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. And of course, you can now follow our new Instagram page, Appetite for Distortion. That's it. The full the full name on Instagram. So that does it again. Whether you listen to us on the iHeartRadio app, I thank you. Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, AlternativeNation.net, however you listen. It's just, um, just very much appreciated. So... Until next time, when will you see the next episode of the AFD show? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know as soon as the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.